in a demonstration of political correctness run amok, Representative Emanuel Cleaver, Democrat of Missouri, offered the opening prayer of the 117th Congress this past Sunday. And he ended his prayer with amen and a woman. That's how he ended his prayer. This is uh, something he did as a new effort to change the language in Congress to, to be more gender inclusive. To be more gender inclusive. His prayer was full of a lot of anti-God sentiment. He prayed in the name of monotheistic gods, something called Brahma, and a God known by many names and by different faith. His name is Emmanuel Cleaver, <clears throat> refers to himself as an ordained minister with a background in the Methodist Church. He endorses universalism and omnism, <clears throat> which means omni-God, the belief that all religions lead to the same deity. I'm going to use that foolishness as a springboard into uh, some discussions about prayer uh, this evening and begin with a definition of amen. Amen. Now, does the word amen have anything to do with a man or woman? No. No, it doesn't. Let it be. So be it. Right. So the basic idea, as you guys were saying, of amen is may it be so. May it be so. And to expand on that a little bit, it um, strongly means, may it stand firm. May it stand firm. In other words, this which is sure and true and steadfast and trustworthy and faithful, may this stand firm. May this stand firm. And this implies um, a comprehension of what's being said. Because we don't know if something is firm and true and faithful unless we comprehend it. But once we feel that it is and know that it is true, faithful, sure, and trustworthy, then the word amen can be applied. Now let's look at Amen and look at it from uh, two or three different standpoints and you're welcome to add because there's much that can be said uh, in this regard. Let's be looking back in the Old Testament Psalm number 41 for a second. Psalm 41. Psalm 41. The end of the chapter, 
where there is a plea for the Lord's mercy and graciousness. But the end of the chapter, verse uh, 13 of Psalm, Psalm 41, verse 13. Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Now, when we listen to anything in a religious assembly, particularly a prayer, let's think about prayer for right now. When we listen to a prayer and the person praying to person praying and and the people listening should put themselves in the statements that are being made and should put themselves in the statements being made with great faith, with great desire, and with tremendous uh, intensity, with a great deal of thought and and, uh, self-reflection. So notice Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So our prayers should end with amen. But as we pray and as we listen, whether it be in a public situation or even in your private prayers, then we must really put ourselves into what we're doing. That's what amen calls for. The idea of amen is to, for us to be intent and to, for us to be religious, spiritually minded as we pray. So we'll, we'll reflect on this a little bit more. Turn over to 1 Corinthians with me, please. 1 Corinthians 14. Still thinking in regard to amen and prayer for just... A few minutes. First Corinthians uh, chapter 14. These are the days of miraculous gifts that um, were short-lived. And of course, we don't live under those days now, but in the early church they did. And so some were blessed with uh, miraculous gifts. One of those gifts was the ability to speak in languages that you never have learned before. You know languages, different languages, but you you did not go through the usual educational process to learn it. The Lord just gifted you with that directly. That's that's something that we don't enjoy today. But they had, some had that gift in church. Now, as with any gift, it can be abused. Even the miraculous gifts could be abused. So some got so happy about their gift that they would just start expressing their gift, but that didn't make sense because, as Paul, you'll hear Paul say here in just a minute, some would be so happy about their gift that they would begin to speak in languages, but they would do it in front of an audience where that language would not make sense. The The people in their audience or the people in their hearing would not know the language they're saying even though they, with a miraculous gift, could speak it. But in the midst of this, Paul's going to say some things about amen. So look down with me to 1 Corinthians 14, 13. And we'll read this little paragraph. 
1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue, language, should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also, my understanding also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing also with understanding. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, notice what Paul is saying here. It's it's rather simple. He's saying it does no good for us to stand and thank God if the people who are hearing us cannot understand us. Because... If they can't understand us, then they would not be able to say what? Amen. Okay. So notice first that it was a practice of the early church to say amen at the end of a prayer. So that's good. That, that means that ought to be a practice for us. It's a good practice. Okay. But it also instructs us that we should not, we cannot say amen in just a flippant way. That saying amen is a serious business. Serious business. You can't say amen unless you understand what's being said. And unless you believe and are convicted about what's being said. And unless you feel like what's being said ought to be lived out by everyone, especially you, who are saying amen. So it's serious business. And that's why Paul is instructing these folks with this with the, uh, with the particular gifts that they make sure that they either speak their language in, a, in an audience that has the same language or make sure someone is there to interpret what they're saying to that audience. Or else you cannot be unified together. Nobody's going to be built up by the thanksgiving or by the devotional prayer. Okay. Right. Now, notice also here at the end, Paul said... I'd rather speak five words with my mind, with understanding, with people understanding, in, in order to instruct others, than 10,000 words in the tongue. What does that teach us for today? It teaches us, of course, when we pray, we need to pray with the audience in mind. Okay, we're praying to God. We've got to pray with the audience in mind. We want, we want them to understand. If we're praying with our family or with our children or men, if we're praying in church, we want to pray with the audience in mind so that they will be able to follow us. So at the same time, we are putting our thoughts into the prayer. And at the same time, the audience is putting themselves into the prayer, seeking to please God, seeking, seeking to have greater faith, seeking to... To apply it and to leave it out. Now, that means both in our prayers and our teaching, we need to be down to earth. 
and we need to be uh, devoted to understanding each other. Okay. The doctrine of Christ, um, and the basic teachings of Christ especially, uh, are rather uh, simple to understand. The only reason that, to be confused about it is when man gets involved, mankind, men and women get involved and, and distort it. But otherwise, you don't need a whole room full of books to understand the doctrine of Christ. You don't need the internet to understand the doctrine of Christ. And so Paul is saying he'd rather use, he'd rather just speak five words that are understood than ten thousand words that are just um, that are just um, unable to be uh, interpreted and translated to life. Okay. So before we go further, what thoughts do you have? about amen. And we're going to go further. But what thoughts do you have? It's about unity. It's about if if what you've just told us is that when you pray, you're having everyone in mind. And not only are you praying, they're supposed to be listening so that they know what you're speaking about God's truth. So that at the end of the prayer, they can say or not say, amen. Okay. So Julie's just reiterating that it's important to to pay close attention in worship. uh, So that we can all, whether we say it out loud or within our hearts, we can all say uh, amen. Doesn't this also teach us that when we say something before God that we have better be saying it with the understanding and with the intent of, of living it out. Living it out. So it should teach us to put more thought into our prayers, more thought into even our, our worship, whether it be public worship or whether it be what you do at home. So unless you are mistaken, this is me really inviting you to speak up if you'd like to. This is that expression on my face. This is that. This is that time. I often have to tell people what's. It doesn't come out on my face sometimes. Is there a passage? I think it's in Revelation. Yes, James. Let's go. We'll go ahead and discuss that. James is talking about a, a, a passage that would say Christ is the Amen Himself. Uh, there is one in Second Corinthians chapter one that I'm thinking of. Second uh, Corinthians one, and Paul is kind of working some things out with the brethren at Corinth. He's saying he, he's coming to see them, coming to encourage them. He's been delayed by things, but he's coming to see them. At the same time, they begin to doubt that he's ever going to come and maybe Paul somebody who doesn't actually keep his word. Paul's dealing with, with that sort of uh, situation. But in the midst of that, Paul's going to say, he's going to teach us again how faithful God is. Paul's going to say, okay, sometimes human beings do disappoint you, but God is always faithful. So let's, picking up at 2 Corinthians 1 
and um, verse. Let's just pick up verse 15 to get the full idea. 2 Corinthians 1 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating? In other words, was I being, you know, just flippant when I wanted to do this? Uh, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, um, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God uh, for his glory. So Paul speaks to them about the promises of God and how faithful God is and the surety of that, the promise of that, the, the firmness of that is based on Christ. It's based on the resurrection of Christ. It's based on who Christ uh, is. So is that part of what you might have in mind, James? In Revelation 3 and verse uh, 14, writing to the church at Laodicea, the beginning of the letter says, Revelation 3, 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The word of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, that would refer to Jesus. The words of the Amen. The words here to this letter, these are words from Jesus to these churches. The words of the Amen. Okay. In other words, the one who is faithful and true. So that's the idea of, of Amen. Amen is, is agreeing with and endorsing, if you will, that which is true, that which is firm, that which is faithful, that which is trustworthy. And who is that more than anybody other than, than Christ? So maybe that's, is that more the idea you had?
So James is um, emphasizing Christ. It makes complete sense that Christ is the Amen because of all that He is. He is the faithful and true witness. Who could be a better witness than Christ? Who could be a better, better witness for God than Christ? Who besides Christ has been in heaven and come to earth and now at the time of this writing, he's back in heaven. You know, who could be a better witness? And then as James is saying, before Christ come to earth, he's the word, he is the truth. And so um, he is that which testifies to all that God, uh, all, that God all who God is, all that God is. That's a good thought. It is. It's, 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 uh, it's hard for us to get our arms around God and all that he is. And so that, what we're saying, is, is kind of hard to put into words as well. Uh, but it's, it's a wonderful thought. So, so far we've looked at the fact that Jesus is the, the amen. And we've looked at how that the definition of amen is let it be so. And so when you are saying amen, whatever you're saying amen to, you are, you are agreeing with and confirming, affirming. You are endorsing that which has been said. Now, you're not endorsing in the place of God, but you are saying that what has just been said is of God and I agree with that. And I agree with it to such a point that I'm, I'm convicted about it. And everybody else ought to be convicted about it. And so um, the, the powerful thought of, of amen in, in regard to prayer so far. Well, truth is equal to that, wouldn't you say? Truth is equal... We are. Yes. Miss Susan's saying, you know, basically, amen is equal to truth, and that's true. And then expressing how grateful we can be that we have truth. What a what a situation it would be. Uh, to try to walk by faith without truth, it would be impossible. And it is impossible. That's good. I find it interesting that the word amen is an ancient word, in ancient Hebrew. It's got a well-established word translated into multiple languages. However, this new word, a woman, is not a word. The ancient Greek a meant not or without. So if you think about what this imbecile has done by putting A in front of a long-established word woman, he has said amen, not woman, or amen without women. And that is what he has said, and I don't think he even understands or he would have said it. Yeah. Words have meaning. When we allow people to change the meaning without without getting on our soapbox about it, that's how our language becomes twisted. That's how 
how meanings, how we get our language used against us over short periods of time. Okay. The prefix A means not or without. Right. Somebody needs to explain it to this fellow. We need to not let that become. Anytime we hear these things, we've got to address them right then. And if people, if Christians will stand up and address these things immediately and not let them become entrenched, they will die very quickly. Okay. Brother Aaron's saying the, the importance, uh, bringing out the importance of, of meeting, of, of taking on these mistakes, and not just mistakes, it's, it's absolute, uh, just pure ignorance, which is, um, a lot of that is being shared in our society, just pure ignorance. And this is, this is one example of it. So Aaron was saying also that uh, technically, the word A is often used to mean not, like atheist. Atheist means not God. I don't believe in theism. I don't believe in a theology. I don't believe in God. Atheist. And so a woman would be not woman. So I, I don't have an explanation of why this fella who's made his way into um, the House of Representatives would, would seek this. Go ahead, brother. Sorry. Uh, I Brother Larry, relating uh, his experience, well, I think we've had this in smaller churches, different places. Oftentimes they'll end a song or a prayer and the brother will say, let the church say amen, and the whole church will say amen. But that, that does uh, uh, help us to move forward a little bit. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy uh, 27. Uh, what? Go ahead, brother, as we turn back to Deuteronomy 27. Go ahead.
country could be bound by it. Paul is uh, relating that um, that some of these um, what we would re- refer to as perverse, very perverse ideals could make their way into being uh, laws or mandates. Um, and I guess that's true, uh, but for us, it's not true. For us, we will always obey God rather than man. But well, we're supposed to believe that, but we've got to teach that, though. Yes. There are Christians that have made a lot of decisions in the last nine or ten months because there have been things that we've been told were laws. If it's morally and ethically wrong, we have a duty to not do it by God. And I think I can make that a So once again, Ken's saying that something is is scripturally or morally wrong, then we have an obligation to obey that and not obey man. That's right. In Deuteronomy uh, 27, verse 15, uh, thinking more along the lines of uh, amen in what God has said. Okay, we talked about a little bit about amen in, in prayer. Let's think about what amen and what God has said. Look, and as, as Aaron was saying, this goes way back deep into in the Hebrew history. Look at Deuteronomy 27.15. Here, here's part of the law. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. Cursed is the man who makes a carved image or a cast metal image. An abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. See that? In other words, here is a law from God. And not only were they to read this law, but all the people were to say amen to this warning that if any man creates an idol out of wood or metal, that everybody was to agree that this man would be a curse, that it's an abomination, and let everybody say to this uh, amen. The word of God deserves an amen. Okay. Look over with me to Romans uh, chapter 16 for an example of this as well. Romans uh, 16. The last part, last part of Romans 16, beginning in verse 25. Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and uh, through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Larry, you were referring to a, a practice among churches to say amen to the preaching. It's almost as if, as you, and of course we don't have time to go through all the references to amen, but it's, it's, it was a common practice to amen the teaching as well. Both the writing of God's will and the speaking of God's will. So perhaps we need to get back to that a little bit more.
Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, Bo, uh, Bobby Brown came to Midway years ago, and he said he did that a little bit. But um, yeah, Jack Evans was uh, president of uh, Christian College down in Texas. It's one that we heard. Okay. What do you think that does for uh, an audience when someone does amen? When there is a resounding amen after a prayer, there's a resounding amen uh, with the with the teaching. What do you think that does? So it makes you listen better. What else does it do? Encourages. Encourages the teacher, maybe. Encourages the praying. Confirms. Confirms. If if it's true, then it ought to be amen. Yeah, it might be that that this will never happen to anybody here. But some folks have a way of drifting away in in a sermon. Your mind goes toward lunch. But when somebody says, Amen, then it might say, well, what was just happened there? So, can you stop and rewind for a second? What did I miss? You know? My daddy always said that when somebody said amen when he was preaching, it's like telling him signified it. All right. So Ken's daddy said when he heard an amen, it was like sickum, sickum buddho, sickum fado. Okay. What about when someone amens you while you're praying in the middle of your prayer, something like what we're saying? Yeah. I was talking about somebody amening during the middle of a prayer. That happened to me one time when I was um, at a congregation. It scared me. It scared me. I, I lost all thought. I don't know what I said the rest of the prayer because it wasn't time to amen. It was I just getting started. So it wasn't time to amen. That's it. That's it. Miss Susan is saying it shows unity, and that's what Paul is talking about there in First Corinthians 14. The church at Corinth was divided. They had all kinds of schisms and isms. Okay, and he was correcting that, and but he was showing how can you say Amen together if the audience don't understand what you're saying. But the imp- implication there is he wanted everybody saying Amen. He wanted to bring unity back. Uh, to that church. It's a good point. Unity is the strongest language. Prayer and unity. It's just so much can be done when you're unified. That's right. So much more. Schisms and just it breaks us down so badly. That's right. So much more can be done when you're unified. Yes. I was told to read one, Psalm 133 today, and it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is Okay, Miss Julie, bringing out Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together uh, in unity. Excellent, excellent verse. Yeah. Why don't you throw in some head knots and 
throw in some head nodding with the I amen, mean, that would be all right. Be all right. I'll be looking for that, Brother Paul. Well, he's talking about head nodding during the teaching. Brother, um, Brother Roger was saying, and it's an excellent point, the amen, and then in, in addition to that, in Jesus' name, makes us focus on what we're saying, both in teaching and in praying, because we must make sure it's, it's according to Christ's authority. So the one speaking must make sure of that, and then the one amening must make sure of that. But to say amen, you're saying, I'm going to live. I'm going to live according to this. I believe this with all of my heart. And let's, let it be so. Let it be so in my life. Let it be so in everybody's life. Let it go throughout the earth. Amen carries that message uh, with it. In all of our, our worship, uh, songs included, uh, to sing, to say those words is to say, uh, Lord, I'm going to live these out. If I sing those, then I've got to, I'm saying to the Lord, I'm going to live these words out in my life as well. It goes all the way back to our obedience to Christ. When we make that good confession before we enter the waters of baptism, when we say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that is huge. We're saying, I I am agreeing with, I am submitting myself to all that I'm going to learn about Jesus, all that he wants me to be and to do. I am submitting myself, I'm committing myself to all of that right now. What we say has big um, promises and it has a big impact and God uh, expects, has a lot of expectation before God. Amen. Now, Jesus used amen, but he did it at the beginning of his teachings also. And it doesn't come with the word amen. But you remember often Jesus would say, verily, verily? Okay. That's the same word as, as Paul uses there in 2 Corinthians 1 and Revelation 3. When he talks about yes, yes, truly, truly, amen, amen. Uh, for example, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, and he says, don't do it to, um, to be a show-off. Okay, if you, those Pharisees and Jews who would pray in public to gain attention, he says, dearly, dearly I say to you, you have received your reward. In other words, not a reward from God. The attention you sought from that, you're going to get that, but you're going to get no more from God. There's no endorsement there from God. God is not pleased uh, with that. Verily, verily. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, uh, verily, verily, he said that the law has been fulfilled, that he is the fulfillment of the law. Truly, truly, it stands firm, it stands firm, that I, Jesus, I am fulfilling the law. It is such a um, misrepresentation that somehow because we don't live under the old law, that we have a disdain toward that law. We don't have a disdain toward that law. You know? But the fact is, Jesus filled it full. Okay? By fulfilling the prophecies of the old law, he lived according to the demands of the old law perfectly. He became the curse for us. He's the only one that could become the curse for us. 
And that law was intended to bring us to Christ, and all that has happened, so the old law has been laid aside forever because Christ filled it full. So oftentimes Jesus would use the idea of amen, but at the beginning of his statements, Paul did that a little bit. Paul would say, faithful is the saying, right? You remember Paul saying that to Timothy oftentimes? Faithful is the saying. Then he would, then he would say the statement. So that's the same ideal of amen. Okay. But one of the big things is, as James was bringing up, Christ is our amen. Christ is, is the basis of us being able to pray. He is, he is the, the uh, truth behind uh, our hope of forgiveness and serving God. And um, I hope this has been helpful. And there's, there's so much more that can be said. And it is a good opportunity uh, to use this idea, this word, uh, these words, to do further study on this. And I encourage you to do that. Yes. Um, going back to our, our representative, um, I didn't hear his entire prayer. I wanted to go back and hear his prayer. I just didn't get a chance. But evidently it was full of just, um, of just perverse ideas. This is, this is the ideal of trying to be all-inclusive coming to a, a mountaintop. This is the mountaintop of trying to be all-inclusive. Let's include all gods because at the end, all gods lead to the same God. That's, just, that's, that's how he was praying. And um, for him to say that, do this publicly is a shame. For him to refer to himself as a minister is a shame. Um, so he really ought to go home and, and um, go to some corner and repent. Yeah, that's a good point. Doing everything to please anybody. You remember when um, Paul came to Athens and they had a God? He had, they had the unknown God? He said, I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship and I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. They had just erected altar after altar and then one to an unknown God, just in case they missed one. So Athens has come. Has come. But as... Um, as you guys were saying, we must, at every point we can, we must resist uh, this, this anti-God culture that is, is around us. They also uh, discussed taking out the bills, any references to father and mother and uncles, that kind of thing. You have gender, any gender references whatsoever. Yeah. So they've got a lot in store for us. Scientific is that. 
sure totally not true because the Word of God disputes it all through the Word of God. And I'm like, did you tell me read the Bible? Because it was a person saying that, you know, God would never allow us to be uh, taken over by the Chinese. God just wouldn't allow that. I said, do you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you know why they were in that country? And I tried to explain it to her how important it is to know God's word. And I learned this this year, even though I've been reading the Bible for a while, this year, I learned how hard it was to get through numbers and Deuteronomy and the, all, all of the laws about how we, they were to sacrifice just over and over again. And I was like, why do they say this over and over and over again? And then when I got through there and I got to the New Testament, and I learned about Christ, my sacrifice. No more sacrifices. And that is why all those sacrifices were important, because they were to do it exactly like this. And when you become a Christian, you have to do it exactly like the Word of God. You cannot make up whatever you want. You have to 